Before you start teaching, like, this is absolutely what you need to do with your money, someone should be finding out, one, is it the right thing? Like, what effect does it have? And two, is it something that people can actually apply to their lives? Because if it's not, then it's not valuable advice. You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast where we talk about diet culture, fat phobia, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Saul-Smith, and I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. Today, I am chatting with Dana Miranda. Dana is a certified educator in personal finance and the founder of Healthy Rich, a platform for inclusive, budget-free financial education. As a personal finance journalist, Dana has written about work and money for publications including Forbes, The New York Times, CNBC, Next Advisor, Insider, and she's also had a column for Inc. Magazine. So you might be thinking, wait, 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 what does budgeting have to do with diet culture? To which I say, oh, my friends, so, so much. It turns out that tracking expenses is not all that different from tracking calories in terms of its impact on our well-being and its ultimate success rate. Dana is here to explain why budget culture causes harm, why budgeting doesn't work, and how to start to rethink your relationship with money. I got so much out of this conversation, and I fully expect you to have even more questions after you listen, because I think this whole idea of an anti-budget approach is so new to most of us. So please tell us what you think. I would love to continue this conversation. But first, a quick break. Okay, it's time to read another of your five-star reviews. This one is from Melody's Mama, and she writes, I just adore this podcast. As a new mom, these conversations are so validating and help me let go of so many ridiculous expectations that are put on women and particularly mothers. It makes me feel more comfortable in my own skin and angry at the people who benefit from making me feel like I need to change something. The things I am learning are preparing me to raise my daughter the way I want to. Can't say enough good things. Want to be friends with Virginia and all the guests. Thank you so much for that. You can totally be friends with all of us. If the rest of you want to support the podcast, please leave a rating and review in your podcast player. I know every podcast asks you to do this, but it is honestly the most helpful thing for helping other folks find the show. And I read the ones that I like on here. And if you want even more burnt toast, become a newsletter subscriber. It's just $5 per month or $50 for the year. And it gets you a whole bunch of great perks, including subscriber-only bonus episodes where I answer your questions about diet culture, fat phobia, parenting, and health. You'll also get all the reported essays and my monthly Ask Virginia column delivered directly to your email. And you become a part of the burnt toast community with commenting privileges, our monthly book group discussions, and our super awesome Friday thread discussions. So just click the link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com to subscribe. Whatever you do, thanks so much for supporting independent anti-diet journalism. Hi, Dana. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Let's start by having you tell us just a little bit about yourself and your work. Yeah. So I worked as a freelance writer for 10 years. Writing is my background. And I was just kind of getting by for about five years. And I started in personal finance media in 2015 when I got my first full-time job working at The Penny Hoarder, a media startup in personal finance. And I really had no personal finance background when I did that. I just got into it because it was a writing job and I liked the team that I would have an opportunity to work with. And I thought, I'll try it out. Personal finance sounds really boring, but let's see, it's writing. And I found that I really enjoyed the things that I was writing about and the things that I was learning because I was able to learn so much about like our financial systems, like what goes into a credit score, for example. I hadn't been making a lot of money. I grew up 
working class and didn't learn a lot about personal finance from my parents or my community. And so I just kind of buried my head in my 20s around anything to do with money. And so it was so fun to start learning about it. And then as I got kind of deeper into it, I started freelancing and writing for more sites and also working with some financial technology companies. And I learned that the space is like pretty much 100% dominated, like so many spaces, by middle class, cis, white, straight men for the most part. And so all of the advice that we're getting is really just coming from that perspective and it's leaving out so many people. I brought plenty of privilege to the work that I was doing just as a white woman with a kind of a family network to fall back on. But even just coming from a working class background, I found how much advice and personal finance was not speaking to me. And it was something that I was like calling out to all my colleagues who had a middle class background that they didn't seem to notice in the work that they were doing. And so I started to notice what I named budget culture and wanted to kind of explore that more. So I started my platform for financial education, Healthy Rich, last year to invite more voices into the space, tell stories, to share more perspectives, and just kind of explore a new way to teach about money and kind of critique the system a little bit. I'm so glad you're doing this work. So I discovered you through Anne Helen Peterson's newsletter, Culture Study, which is how many of us discover everything good in our lives. You did a great Q&A with her about Dave Ramsey and budget culture. It was so fascinating. I will link to the conversation. One quote that really jumped out for me, and is the reason I was like, Dana, come on the podcast. You wrote, budget culture is the damaging set of beliefs around money that rewards restriction and deprivation, much like diet culture does for food and bodies and promotes an unhealthy and fantastical ideal of financial success. And I had just never thought like, oh, wait, like tracking your spending is not that different from tracking calories. So I really want us to dive into this. Let's start with the concept of budget culture. So I think one of the biggest like kind of parallels and one of the issues that I see is that the way that we teach personal finance is focused on the myth that there's some right way to do money and we just need to learn it. And we see that in diet culture too, that there's a right way out there. And if you're not happy with what's going on with your money, it's because you haven't found quite the right way. You haven't figured out how to follow all the right mm -hmm. rules. And that's really how it's taught that there's just this set of things that are good and bad to do with your money. And you just need to figure them out. And also that there's like a right way to be like, you should be striving for some kind of nebulous idea of being rich or a higher net worth, lower debt. And those are all just kind of like taken as fact in personal finance. And the advice specifically around budgeting is, I think, exactly like dieting, which is that it's focused on restriction. There are a few kind of like experts that talk about earning more money to do what you want with your finances, but most skip over that entirely and just go to, if something's not right with your money, you need to start restricting how you're spending it because mm -hmm. it's just overspending that's causing your problems. And again, this like assumed goal is to become rich, like increase your net worth, decrease your debt. And it's all of these things that we kind of take at face value as like, of course, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make more money. We're trying to have less debt. Like we're trying to spend less on taxes. Like all of these things that people just assume are the right goals. Mm -hmm. If you start to examine them, there's actually a lot of problems with them. And just like teaching those as the right way to do money 
can be really damaging and or, you know, at best useless for a lot of people because they just don't apply. Yeah. I mean, you are blowing my mind. Like, you're right. There's this whole premise that we don't question, which is you must want to become as rich as possible, just like you must want to become as thin as possible. Exactly. And if we say like, but wait a second, <laughs> what if that goal is not relevant to you? What if that's not a healthy goal for you to pursue um, or a realistic goal, which for most people it's not? That is so interesting. That completely changes the conversation about money. And what is rich too? Like I see the same thing in diet culture of like, what is thin enough? Like what's the right Right. amount to be? Um, And then we also critique people who become too rich, which I don't know where that line is. So (laughs) there's really no right way to do it. No, you're totally right. find critiques either way. You'll always move the bar on yourself. Like there's not a number that you can get to in either conversation where you're going to be like, I no longer worry about this because the whole thing is a response to this culture telling you you're not good enough. Exactly. And we apply restriction to everyone too, no matter how high your net worth is or how much money you have coming in. We still look at like really the decadent purchases of celebrities and critique them and say that this isn't how they should be spending their money when, you know, that we look at working class and middle class people and say like, you shouldn't be spending your money this way because you don't earn enough. So then the idea is like, well, if I earned more, shouldn't I be able to spend more? But you realize that the point is just restriction the whole time. So I want us to break down why that's so dangerous, because the other line from the Q&A with Anne Helen that really stopped me in my tracks was when you said budgeting like dieting doesn't work. And I mean, I wrote in my notes for this episode, like, I really thought it was me. Like, I didn't realize. I thought, like, people are either good at budgeting or they're not. And if you're not, like, you should try to be better at it. And now that I'm saying it all out loud to you, I'm realizing how very much that sounds like dieting and a diet mentality. So why doesn't it work? (laughs) That's a great question. It's hard to know because... As far as I can tell, it's studied very little. Like there's very little research around whether budgeting works. It has kind of blown my mind because as I started hearing people dig into the research around dieting and whether dieting works and the effects that it has on people's lives, it made me interested. Like there's got to be a parallel to that in budgeting and finance. And there's so little around whether people can stick to budgets. And there's basically no one questioning if people even do stick to a budget what effect does it have on their finances? That feels so important to know. Right. Before you start teaching, like, this is absolutely what you need to do with your money. Someone should be finding out, one, is it the right thing? Like, what effect does it have? And two, is it something that people can actually apply to their lives? Because if it's not, then it's not valuable advice. You can't just keep saying this is the right thing to do. And so you're wrong if you don't do it when literally no one can do it. So yeah, why doesn't budgeting work? I can make guesses. I think it's the restriction around it. It's that set of rules. It's the assumed goal of becoming rich, which like you said, doesn't apply to a lot of people. It doesn't make sense for a lot of us. And then to cut out day to day, like what we're mostly trying to do with money is just to be able to enjoy our lives day to day. Like there's some long-term planning that people are doing, but most of us aren't thinking what can this money become? What's my legacy going to be? And budgeting as a tactic just makes your life difficult day to day. You spend your time constantly thinking about money, tracking your spending, 
restricting your costs and expenses and things that you can spend money on, constantly feeling guilty when you spend money on things that bring you joy. Even if you don't stick to a budget, the mindset sticks around. And so even if you start to, you know, splurge and start to do things that you enjoy because you don't want to track your spending anymore or whatever, then you still just feel guilty the whole time. Right. I mean, it's the same as the sort of restrict binge cycle that a lot of people get in with dieting where Mm -hmm. most of us cannot sustain restriction long term. People who can do that are usually qualify for eating disorder diagnosis. And so the rest of us like restrict as long as we can. And then hunger, everything sets in. You eat everything because you've been starving and then you feel bad and feel like you have to start the cycle. And it sounds like you're seeing something really similar happen with money. And yeah, I just want to talk about the misery of doing it. I mean, I have failed every budget app I've ever downloaded because the idea of like standing in the grocery store, like inputting numbers on my phone or having to take photos of receipts or look back later and correct the fact that my online banking didn't upload the transactions in an accurate way. You know, it's miscategorized oh everything. Like, I mean, it is really tedious. And would you say this applies to even like budget sites that have like pretty big cult followings? Like you need a budget and or YNAB, whatever people call it, mm-hmm. those kinds of places. Yeah. So I've looked into a lot of that stuff. It's kind of interesting, especially budgeting apps and budgeting methods in particular, because none of it from the beginning has ever appealed to me personally. So I've never really been into making a budget, but I can see the parallel because everything that you're describing with budgeting, I did with dieting. I found I tried different food tracking apps and kind of went through that whole experience. And so I can see, I can understand the mindset, you know, that you have when you feel like, it must be me. I can't make this app work or I can't stick to what the app is telling me I'm supposed to do, which seems silly. But as I started talking more about anti-budgeting and budget culture, a lot of the response has been like people calling out certain apps or certain methods that work for them. And they're saying, yeah, this budget culture is terrible, but that's why I love YNAB, which literally has, you need a, like the name is you need a budget. (laughs) It is obviously um, a budgeting app. Yes. (laughs) Something like that. The 50-20-30 budget is also really popular. People don't see it as restrictive because it's percentage-based rather than category-based. But all of those ultimately still just come down to, one, there's a lot of tracking your spending. So it's just constantly being aware of and judging what you're doing with your own money. And then also they still set restrictions on how you spend your money. Like 50, 20, 30 says only a certain percentage of your money can be used in this way. And you have to define what is a want versus a need. And and you have to be saving a certain amount. And you need a budget. I just started exploring because people were sharing that as a piece of advice with me. It's a huge cult following. And so I'm really paying attention because I want to know what is so appealing to people. But as far as I can tell from the app is that it's kind of an envelope budgeting app. So you set a certain amount of money that you can spend in certain categories. And I think what probably is appealing is that it doesn't tell you how much those categories should be, but it's still a way to like internalize that restriction. And it allows you to like move money from one category to another. But imagine like that experience and the guilt that you would feel if you were like, oh, I'm moving money from... Kids college funds again, or the kids college fund because I wanted to go have you know another vacation or a night with my friends or something. So it's one of those things where like everyone is well intentioned, but 
because we're not questioning the premise of budget culture from the beginning, that it just continues to mm-hmm. perpetuate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. And you hit on this a little bit already, but I want to talk a little more about the role of privilege here. I mean, we see this in diet culture. So many of the, quote, gurus or you know, diet plan creators are people who are actually genetically predisposed to being thin and then claiming that the way they eat and exercise is the answer and what you need to also be doing in order to sort of achieve their results. And it sounds like you've encountered something similar in budget culture where it's people claiming they have all the answers to how to manage your money, but actually they just have money. It's kind of interesting to look for the parallels, too, because there's not technically like a biological predisposition to richness. Right. But well, if you start maybe to break down like white. all the privilege, yeah. exactly, <laughs> the privilege that like leads to makes it easier to become rich in our society is all just stuff that people can't work towards necessarily. Right. And what I find kind of frustrating is that I don't think a lot of personal finance experts, teachers, whatever you want to call them. I don't think that a lot of people are trying to hide their privilege. I think they're just completely unaware of it. Even as I look into people's backstories, I find that they talk about struggles of growing up middle class. And I know that there's a big spectrum of people who qualify as like middle class income. And there are real financial constraints that you deal with. Like you're not, you know, Bill Gates or Elon Musk or whatever. But because people experience a little bit of friction financially, they don't understand the massive amount of friction that so many, like the majority of probably the people who are following them have felt their entire life. And so the things they speak to where they think I was able to overcome the challenges that I had in my life. I wasn't given everything and look at the college education that I got and the degree that I got and the jobs that I was able to get and the money I was able to save. So they expect they can just give that advice to anyone in any situation and Mm -hmm. think, well, you can overcome your circumstances as well and do the same thing without understanding the difference, the huge gap between their situation and like a lower income, working class person, single mother, like a black person or someone who doesn't have access to education in the same way, someone who's living with a disability and having trouble getting hired or keeping a job or just getting the resources that they need. The classic example is like, stop spending the $5 a day on your latte. And it's like, Yeah, you could do that and you could save up for your vacation if you already have the privilege of secure housing, food security. Like if you're already operating from a base of privilege, then cutting out one indulgence to free up some fun money for something else makes some degree of sense, perhaps. But if you don't have all of those things in place, this latte advice is useless to you and feels like laden with so much judgment and... Yeah, just it's so condescending. Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's the condescension. And then you're like, they cut out lattes and now they're a millionaire. Mm -hmm. Why can't I do that? And it's like, because you are struggling to pay your rent. Like, it's not that you're overindulging on lattes and you want to put that money somewhere else. Right. I grew up working class. And so it was like, we did fine, but we definitely had like a paycheck to paycheck experience. So I saw my parents dealing with money a little bit. And then as an adult, as a freelancer, I was earning like $12,000 a year. Like it was absurd. And so I was 
in that situation where I had debt that I was ignoring, I was completely strapped for money. There was no way to just cut out a couple of things and make ends meet. It was like just this constant shuffling around of money. That's all. And then I got into the job and I was suddenly making this full-time salary and at a startup where then I was like being promoted and getting raises very quickly. And so I immediately just was in a new income bracket and at the same time learning about personal finance. But I realized pretty quickly on reflection that the reason that my credit score was going up, that I could suddenly get a credit card, that I was feeling a lot better about my finances, that my student loans were under control was because I just had the money to deal with all those things. And that gave me an enormous amount of privilege. It didn't have anything to do with financial literacy that I suddenly knew more. I was able to take the steps, but if I had learned that a year before starting the job, I wouldn't have been able to do anything with that knowledge because I didn't have the money to address any of those issues. Right. So what is the alternative? I mean, you know, I actively encourage people to break up with dieting, divest from diet culture. How do we divest from budget culture? And what is sort of an anti-budget mindset to approaching money? I think the challenge of it is really the same as divesting from diet culture, because so much of it is just internalized. There's so much mindset work that you have to do. The simplest answer to instead of budgeting and tracking all of your spending and restricting your spending is just conscious spending. So being mindful and understanding how you're using your money, which sounds really scary, I think, to a lot of people because money feels really finite. And it feels like, well, if I just spend as it feels good, eventually I'll run out and I won't be able to pay for things. But as someone who has, like I said, done kind of that money shuffle of like not having very much money, it's not really as finite as it seems. Like there's a lot of debt that you can set aside and deal with in a different way later. A lot of it is like money is just not as finite as it seems. You're able to earn a little bit and get by for the week, or you're able to shuffle things around. You can set certain bills aside or certain debts aside or whatever it is. And so that's a huge mindset shift to start to think about like, not being driven by paying down your debt, not being driven by improving your credit score, rethinking how you're earning money, where it's coming from, how you share money and utilize community resources and government resources. And again, rethinking just that goal of increasing your net worth and becoming rich. Mm -hmm. That all of that mindset work can help. But the simple answer is the alternative to budgeting, I think, is conscious spending. And then there's just like a whole lot of work to get there. (laughs) So I think it's a lot of conversations about what is budget culture? What does budgeting really mean in your life? And how can you break away from it? I mean, one thought I'm having as you're talking about this idea of thinking of money as less finite, of sort of setting aside some debt to deal with later, that more fluid approach you're describing, I'm thinking, well, that's what rich people do all the time. We just don't let people with less money do it. I mean, just a personal example, and I should acknowledge, I grew up upper middle class. I come from a very privileged background, had some broke freelancing years in the beginning of my career, but obviously with a big safety net that I want to acknowledge. But, you know, recently, 
we were talking to a financial planner about various goals and what have you. And I had this idea of like, our big goal should be paying off our mortgage. We should pay off our mortgage. So we own our house free and clear. And isn't that like the goal for everyone? And this financial planner was like, no, because you have a really good interest rate. That's good debt. You don't need to worry about that debt. Your money will do better invested in other ways. And it was so eye-opening to me to be like, oh, this is a different way of thinking about money because we have some money to think about as opposed to like, yes. I have to get on top of this credit card bill, you know, sort of the frantic mindset that we tell people with less money to think about. But rich people walk around with all kinds of debt. I mean, look at Donald Trump. Like, right. like, like you know, they're used to having like some giant amount of debt that they're just ignoring while they go mm-hmm. on their yachts and whatever. Why are we penalizing certain kinds of debt but having no problem with other people's debt just because they have other money to play with. That's really interesting. That's 100%. I think it's such an important question to ask. Like, why do we consider some things good debt versus bad debt? Mortgage is a really good example because, you know, like your advisor told you, that's good debt. And that's a term that I tend to try to not use because it just, it, you know, it assigns a quality to different things. Like, why do we think of student loans as such a huge, heavy, awful debt that we need to get rid of, but that mortgage debt is something that we can carry our whole lives? Like, what is the difference there? It's like really absurd, especially when student loans are like a way safer debt for most people. If you have federal student loans, there's so much safety net there in the way that it like won't destroy your life. You won't lose your home (laughs) if you don't pay off your student loans. That's why I want to talk about money more in the sense of like how it fits into our culture overall, because Mm -hmm. I suspect that the reason that we assign certain qualities to different kinds of debt is that we privilege certain lifestyles that like home ownership is this American dream. Mm -hmm. It's the way that you're supposed to live. But that as far as like getting a job, getting an education, you're supposed to bootstrap and student loans are just a way to like help you if you can't do that. There's just certain lifestyles are privileged. And so we privilege the financial choices that go along with those lifestyles. Yeah, completely. There's so much moralizing. I'm erasing the term good debt from my vocabulary now that I'm, it's just like saying good food and bad food. So say a little more about what conscious spending is like, okay, so it's not budgeting, but what is it? I just think it would be helpful to give people a few tools to think about. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I think that is the biggest thing is that it's kind of a nebulous concept, sort of on purpose for that reason, is that the idea is to let go of the rules and the methods and everything and be more conscious of how you're using money. It's not just about spending. It's just about like how money fits into your life. But one piece of advice, like one tool that I often recommend for people is to use a spending diary for a very limited amount of time. I know it sounds really contradictory to like not tracking your spending, but it's a really simple sort of mindfulness, like journaling is a really simple mindfulness activity to help you understand what you're doing with your money and what it means in your day-to-day life. And so I recommend keeping a spending diary for like a week or something like very limited, not to like build the habit of tracking your spending, but to see where you're spending your money. And then more importantly, like reflect on it and take notes on 
what you got out of that spending, how it made you feel, like start to think beyond just the numbers and the charts and things. Like I don't recommend using a spend tracking app because that's Mm -hmm. what it'll show you. Mm -hmm. It'll show you like, here's what that means for your net worth or whatever. Do it in like a really like in just like a much simpler, more personal way of like writing it down on paper and journaling about what that spending meant to you or saving like whatever you're kind of doing with like, I put some money in this savings account today, or I spent money on a latte today. And that was because I was meeting my friend, Joni, and this was the conversation that we had and Mm. start to connect all those things to the larger meaning in your life. I think I'm not a psychologist. So a lot of this is just like, this is what makes sense to me based on what I kind of have learned about mindfulness. I think also any mindfulness practice, like that's actually what's been really valuable for me is any mindfulness practice you do like meditation or yoga or journaling can help you spend consciously because it just raises your awareness in general to the things that you're doing in life and uh, what it sort of means on a grander scale in your life and spending and, and how you use money is just one of those pieces. Well, it sounds like what you're saying is it's an opportunity to set your own values, to reject Mm -hmm. if you're regularly not making your contribution to your savings account because you're investing in time with friends or experiences with your kids or plants for your garden would be a category in my Mm -hmm. life (laughs) where spending happens with some wild abandon. You know, maybe that's a chance to say like, but this is something I value so much and this adds so much to my life. And maybe the goal of becoming rich or the goal of saving X amount for these future amorphous goals isn't what I really truly care about. And that's an okay thing to question. And that I feel like probably feels very scary to people because again, it's this thing that we've been all conditioned to have the same financial goals. But the more you talk about it, the more I'm realizing how absurd that is. Yeah, absolutely. I would caution with that though, to not try to then turn that into another kind of budget. Like people actually talk Mm. about a values-based budget. Oh, Um, interesting. I think you've pointed this out with intuitive eating too, is that people try to find the techniques and turn it into another kind of diet. That it's not about just naming your values and then creating new categories and new restrictions around those values. And that's where it kind of becomes nebulous is like, I can't hand over the percentage of where you should be spending your money or give you any kind of framework to create that because the point is getting rid of that altogether. Like enjoy life, use your money. That's what it's for. You know, (laughs) Um, Interesting. it's, it's very antithetical to like what any kind of financial advisor would give you. And the mindset is new for me too. It's something that I'm like newly exploring, even though a lot of it, like I said, like specific budgeting never really appealed to me. The idea of like becoming as rich as possible never appealed to me. There's a lot of like foundations that are sort of instinctual for me, but really throwing away these rules is something that I'm still exploring. I really pulled back on the idea of saving for retirement because I don't know how I feel about the stock market. And I'm trying to like retool that and figure out what that means. And I still have the voice in my head that says, you know, because it's literally voices just all over, all around me from real people that say, so what are you going to do when you Mm -hmm. get older and how are you going to survive? And I don't know, like, if that's going to work out. And I will only know at the end of my life if the way that I used money really worked out the way that I wanted it to. So I'm making those decisions as I go and just kind of feeling it out. Yeah, but it does mean also 
you are looking at it. And I think because that's the flip side of this, right? Is like when people live so long with restriction, the flip side is often we go into these periods of denial of not wanting to look at how we're spending and not wanting Mm -hmm. to know what's happening. I certainly have had months where I'm like, putting off looking at the credit card bill because I know it's going to be, quote, bad and I have Mm -hmm. to deal with that. And what you're talking about is because you're letting go of the guilt and the shoulds and the rules around it, you actually have a much more direct relationship with your money, which sounds very appealing. You're sort of opening up to the possibilities of like, maybe this won't work, but it doesn't mean I'm a failure with money or I'm a failure as a human being. And that's such an important mindset to divest from. Exactly. Yeah. I love the way that you're explaining it. I talk a lot about your relationship with money. And I think that's where the focus needs to be a lot more is having a better relationship with money. Mm -hmm. Don't let it be something that dominates you. Like if that were a person in your life, you wouldn't let that person treat you the way that you kind of let your finances treat you. So yeah, focusing on improving that relationship rather than like becoming better according to a certain set of rules, I think is the good way to shift that mindset and kind of get on the right track. And I've also like, I've had that essentially kind of binge and restrict kind of cycle with finances, which is like growing up in a very conservative household where they were very focused on budgeting and not overspending and being very frugal. Then I just thought that's like what it meant to be good with money. And so then I got into my 20s and I was in charge of all my money and I wanted to throw all of that out the window because I was like, that is very boring and I can't have any fun in life. And so I'm going to go completely the other way and max out a credit card, ignore my student loans, like bury my head in the sand about everything. But then once I got into the personal finance space and started learning about those things, it was exactly like you said, where I was able to figure out what that relationship with money could look like because I understood how all of those financial pieces in my life, where they came from and how they fit together and the effect they might have on the future. And then I could make those decisions for myself. So I could create the relationship with money that made sense for me instead of just like one or two extremes. Like I was either good or bad with money. Wow. There's so much here. I am so excited to dive deeper into your work. And I feel like there's going to be more conversations I want to have with you about all of this because this is <laughs> super yeah. interesting and so important and just not a conversation that's happening anywhere else. So I really appreciate you doing this work. It's so crucial. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you inviting me into this space to talk about it because the conversation around diet culture and especially your podcast and newsletter were like what really opened my eyes to this, like gave me kind of this language and this framework to understand what's going on with personal finance. So it's been really helpful to be able to give words to kind of the things I was seeing and not understand. And it's also, I think, starting with the framework of diet culture, which people understand a little bit more. There's still Mm -hmm. a ton of people that like really have a lot to learn and, and we haven't gotten the message to them yet. But in a space like this, where people are paying attention to that conversation, I think that it makes it a lot easier to have this conversation about money and budget culture. Well, I appreciate that so much. And I'm so glad to have helped in any small way towards this great work you're doing. So we wrap up the podcast, as you probably know, with the Butter for Your Burnt Toast segment. And I would love to know, Dana, what is your better for us this week? I have two, if that's all right, Great. because the first one is literal 
burnt toast with butter. Amazing. Um, Amazing. It's always been a comfort food for me. When I was growing up, I would visit my grandparents and my grandpa would make burnt toast. And it kind of became this like joke between us because I think he burnt it one time and I was like, this is so good. And so he was always like, whenever I came over, do you want burnt toast? Oh, and then I, I would try to make that. it at home. It's this wonderful memory. So it's this great comfort food. But also I would try to make it then on my own and it never tasted the same as how my grandpa made it. And I realized as an adult that that was because he was putting real butter on it. And at home we had like country crock or whatever. Yep, <laughs> that will do it. Yeah. Spread. <laughs> and so it was just fat that I liked. It wasn't necessarily burnt bread. <laughs> but the combination is particularly delicious. It yeah. is delicious. Yeah. yeah. So it's still a comfort food to this day. But my more contemporary butter is that I have just started playing my flute again. Recently, I played in middle school and high school and set it aside because it wasn't, you know, it was just like a school thing that I did and didn't continue with the hobby. And I have been in this habit of like as a freelancer and an entrepreneur and trying to build a career of like everything that I pick up and put time into has had to be focused on how am I going to monetize this or how am I going to use it for self-improvement or whatever. And I just got a really cheap flute and have finally moved into a house where I don't share walls with neighbors. So I started playing it this week and it's just really nice to enjoy that activity strictly for just the way it makes me feel. And I don't have any goals. I don't expect to ever get good or play with a band in town or (laughs) perform for people or anything. It's just for me. And I haven't had something like that in a really long time. So that's been making me really happy lately. That is amazing. What a great sort of hobby to bring back into your life. And I love bringing it back in without any of the external pressures or expectations. That is huge. That's really wonderful. My butter this week is just a sort of fun summer indulgent thing that I thought would be fun to share with folks. We just got back from a family reunion in Lake Michigan, which shout out Lake Michigan. I had never been. It's amazing. East Coast girl, a little bit of a snob about lakes, you know, like I was like, I grew up by the ocean. Uh, no, <laughs> Lake Michigan's beautiful and is better yeah, that than... that one will convert you. Yeah, it's better <laughs> I'm, than I'm the ocean. In Wisconsin. So you get it. You yeah, understand it. <laughs> this evolution I needed to have. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's great because there's no sharks, but it's like still big and amazing. Anyway, so part of my better is just go to Lake Michigan. <laughs> but then while we were there, one of my cousins who lives locally and they go all the time, she rented this thing called a Maui mat, which is like a giant floating raft that you can put in the water and you can have like 20 people hanging out on it. And I had never done this before. It's amazing. I think she said it was $75 a day for we had it over the weekend. So obviously like an expense, but definitely like the joy it brought, like this whole extended family and the way it created this gathering space in the water for us, like very well worth robbing your retirement fund for or whatever you need to do. <laughs> I don't know if you could use them in the ocean. You totally could, I guess. I had just never encountered the magic of it before. My kids were obsessed. My older daughter was literally on it for about six hours, just like jumping off. It's like, you know, it moves. So when you walk around, it's really fun. Highly recommend. They're very magical. Yeah. I love so this. Yeah, you, it must be a very Midwestern thing. I think, I think maybe so. Maybe it's a big lake thing. I think because so. Lakes because lakes don't have waves and everything, so it can kind of right. just chill on top of the water. It was just this delightful experience. So anyone lake-bound in any way, look into whether you can hop on one or find a friend who has one because they seem great. <laughs> 
join their family. (laughs) Well, Dana, thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. Please tell us where we can follow your work, learn more about what you're doing and how we can support you. Yeah, thank you again. You can find anything about Healthy Rich at healthyrich.co. That's just kind of the hub for the platform. You can follow our work on basically any platform that you prefer. So all of our social media is there, blog, listen to the Healthy Rich podcast and sign up for the email list all at healthyrich.co. And I also have a sub stack if you're interested in following my personal journey a little bit more at notesnewsletter.substack.com. I talk about my journey from freelance writer to founder as I'm building this company. Amazing. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you again for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Burnt Toast. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free in your podcast player and tell a friend about this episode. And consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. It's just $5 a month or $50 for the year. You get a ton of cool perks and you keep this an ad and sponsor-free space. Find out more at virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. The Burnt Toast podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soulsmith. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the underscore soulsmith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at Cell Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The Burnt Toast logo is by DMLO. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell. And Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting independent anti-diet journalism.